Hello, I'm Grant Bartley from Philosophy Now magazine, and you're listening to the Philosophy Now show on Resonance FM. Uh, today, uh, this being the last show in the present run, uh, I thought I'd have a change in format. Uh, so this is what I'm going to be calling the Mental Universe debate. You can put whatever pun in you, you like at that point. Um, so what we've got here is basically we've got Kieran Quinn. Hello. Who's... Uh, uh, presented a talk at a philosophy discussion group in London called Philosophy for All, uh, and he's going to give a sort of summary of his argument or a cut-down version of his argument in the next 10 or 15 minutes, and I'm going to ask, you know, whenever clarification, I'll ask him for a clarification and so forth, but he's going to give that, and then I've got uh, various bods here to uh, question him, challenge him, possibly agree with him on some points, but... Um, uh, it's going to be a sort of uh, ongo- a, a sort of live philosophy debate about um, a uh, theory that um, seeing a possible interpretation of quantum mechanics, the science of uh, the very small, uh, that the universe is mental in nature. And um, so uh, to debate with Kieran, I have uh, from the Philosophy of Society of England, Bernard Hurley. Hello. Sorry. And then uh, I've got from uh, uh, PFA, uh, Philosophy for All, I've got Richard Marshall and Ian Buxton. Hello. Hello. Okay. Hello. So, um, but for the first part of it, we'll just go straight into Kieran's um, argument. So if you want to just carry on. Okay. Thanks very much, uh, Grant, for your introduction. So, yeah, today we're going to have a look at uh, philosophical idealism and modern physics. Uh, a topic I recently presented at Philosophy for All in London. Philosophical idealism, or immaterialism as it's sometimes known, is the doctrine that only ideas and minds exist. Only ideas and minds exist. It's a doctrine traditionally associated with uh, Bishop George Berkeley, the 18th century Bishop of Cloyne in Ireland. Now, such a view <coughs> that only uh, ideas and minds exist. Um, might well sound quite mad to you, quite lunatic, but that's philosophy. <laughs> Only joking. Some of it. <laughs> <laughs> but more seriously, we, we should appreciate that what Berkeley was actually denying is the existence of matter as a metaphysical substance. Okay. Do you explain what you mean by that? Then? Uh, what, what, what he was d- denying is that um, there is, uh, s- independently of our experiences something else that is categorically different from our experiences. Okay. And you call it matter, yeah? And it's what he called matter, and what most of us understand by matter. Okay. So, um, Berkeley was not at all denying the empirical reality of the external world, the empirical reality. How is that different from his denying matter? Sorry. Well, um, again, matter is something that is categorically, in other words, logically different from experience. Right. And his debate was, how can we infer from our experiences yeah. something which is categorically different, in other words, belongs to a completely different domain? And indeed, even if such a substance did exist, what difference could it possibly make to us? Okay, so that's what you mean by empirical is what you can experience, right? Empirical is what we all experience. In other words... He was not denying the solidity and the concreteness of our experiences at all. Okay. And nor, nor, nor indeed do idealists imply that we can, for example, by thinking, change the workings of the so-called laws of nature. 
I mean, they, they are not, they are not uh, implying that we are, as it were, magicians of some sort. And, and just to quote Berkeley himself in his own words, uh, quoting, um, I do not argue against the existence of any one thing that we can apprehend, either by sense or reflection, that the things I see with mine eyes and touch with my hands do exist, really exist, and make not the least question. The only thing whose existence we deny is that which philosophers call matter or corporeal substance. And in doing this, there is no damage done to the rest of mankind, who, I dare say, will never miss it. Yeah. <laughs> so what they're saying is what there actually is, what we know there is, is experience and experiencing subjects, in other words, ourselves. All that can ever be present to our conscious awareness is experience. Right. Uh, therefore, what justification can there be for uh, inferring from our experience the existence of entities of what I already call a categorically different nature, namely material objects, uh, which are not experience? Mm -hmm. And indeed, even if that hypothesis was true, uh, what difference could it possibly make to us? Right. Now, um, a fairly obvious problem faced by any idealist is how to account for our conviction that we live in a, a shared world of at least other minds. Uh, that's a pretty serious ob objection to any form of idealism. Right. Um, for example, how can it be that we all see the same things in great detail uh, when we look at a scene? If each of us is in some sense or other constructing that scene and all its objects in the process of perceiving them. Yeah. You know, maybe there is only my mind and no other minds. Uh, or your mind, the listener. Maybe you're the only <laughs> thing that exists. Indeed. No other minds at all, and since according to idealism, uh, to exist is, is to be perceived, or to perceive, uh, the Latin slogan was, esse est percipi. It could be, for example, that when I close my eyes or I'm asleep, the world literally ceases to exist. Now, to meet this objection um, of how is, is it that we, are, we feel we are in a shared world, in other words, hardly any of us uh, are solipsists, yeah. uh, Berkeley invoked God, um, invoked him quite beautifully to my mind, um, paraphrasing Berkeley, all that exists exists in the mind of God, and God is everywhere all the time. Therefore, we all experience the same unwavering constant reality. The entire world is thus mental. It exists in God's mind, and sometimes in our minds too. No other reality exists. God is an infinite spirit. He created finite spirits, in other words, us and all creatures. And what we call and know as our experience, our experience is actually God's form of communication with us. Wow. So that was, that was Berkeley's picture, which I consider to be quite, you know, quite a beautiful one. Now, turning to physics, um, I came across uh, an interesting contemporary physicist, a certain Professor Richard Henry, who advocates idealism in response to modern physics. Yeah. And that was the topic of my uh, presentation to Philosophy for All a few months back. Now, uh, Professor Henry, I hasten to add, is not some kind of an amateur enthusiast or, or some kind of a crank. <laughs> he, he is, in fact, um, a research professor in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at the Johns Hopkins University, uh, one of the world's most prestigious scientific universities. And Henry, back in 1990, wrote a paper in the American Journal of Physics titled Quantum Physics Made Transparent. Now, his idea of making quantum physics transparent is significant, I think, in that quantum physics really is our, our, our fundamental theory of physical reality today. It is not only about atoms uh, and other very small things, such as electrons and whatnot. 
It's actually about the entire physical world, uh, including, say, the workings of, of our own bodies. So it's a much more general theory than some people think. Mm-hmm. But quantum mechanics is famously um, quite counter- counterintuitive uh, to most of us, or very counterintuitive. For example, in quantum physics, there seems to be no unique uh, physical world, no unique physical world. Rather, there seem to be many uh, simultaneously existing versions of physical reality. Okay. That's the fundamental picture that quantum mechanics gives us. Well, that's one interpretation. (laughs) Now, this certainly goes against our intuitions, uh, and really there's been a tremendous debate for the past 90 years or so about what quantum mechanics really means in terms of the nature of reality. No one doubts the usefulness of quantum mechanics. The mathematics as a machine, the mathematical machine, works absolutely beautifully. It's what it really means about the nature of reality that is in question. Uh, But interestingly, at least to me, uh, Professor uh, Richard Henry showed how quantum mechanics can be derived really as a, a natural consequence of two very basic facts. Uh, known prior to the discovery of quantum mechanics, in fact. Firstly, that any physics measurement gives us some uh, one uh, number, some datum. Uh, And secondly, that we find that we get stable patterns in the numbers that we do get from measuring some some quantities. Not all quantities, but some quantities. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, the the universe, for frankly unknown reasons, uh, exhibits symmetries. Very metaphorically, the universe has a kind of an abstract shape with symmetries in it. And these symmetries result in certain quantities we measure being conserved. Uh, The most famous example, which you probably have heard of, even if you don't like physics, is the conservation of energy. Uh, This is the consequence, really, of the smooth, thus symmetrical flow of time. If time were lumpy, if it kind of bunched up and stretched out, uh, we wouldn't have the conservation of energy and our world would be utterly, utterly different from the world that we all know. Um, Richard Henry's paper uses pretty standard mathematics. Uh, the only unusual feature really is his very explicit uh, generality and frugality in terms of his starting assumptions. Otherwise, it's mathematics that most physicists are very well aware of. So the quote... Um, Uh, Henry himself, quantum mechanics is almost trivial in its origin from the assumption of space and time plus a few simple symmetries. There are mysteries in the universe, but quantum mechanics is not one of them. Now, somewhat surprising really really for a modern physicist, Henry asserts that physics strongly supports philosophical idealism. And he's actually published his uh, metaphysical views, which are different from his strictly physics views, in very respectable um, scientific journals, such as, for example, Nature, one of the world's uh, foremost uh, scientific journals. And he argues that this great debate going on for 90 years that I've I've mentioned, uh, so-called interpretations of quantum mechanics, uh, in other words, materialism, um, has led physics unnecessarily in his his viewpoint into philosophical quagmires uh, in his attempt to restore to physics a classical so-called realistic deterministic worldview or metaphysics to restore uh, modern physics to what it was um, in the 19th century and and back along then. So he says quantum mechanics deals with nothing but observations. Observations have the character of numbers Uh, Numbers are nothing but mental. In other words, numbers are not mechanical. And thus all things are mental. The universe is purely mental. And continuing to quote him, the universe does not exist at all except as mind. 
Your mind, on which the observations persist in intruding, is the universe. The entire universe exists only in your mind. Mind is fundamental, matter is merely an illusion, and that is physics, not philosophy or religion. Because there are, for unknown reasons, symmetries in the observations, certain quantities are conserved. These quantities thus give the impression of something really being there. Uh, we get the incorrect impression of a real universe, universe being out there. And also Henry, like Berkeley, invokes God, uh, but as an admitted leap of faith, it has to be said. Uh, to quote him again, we have no idea what the fact that the universe is mental means. We seem to have no hope of ever discovering what it means. But it's true. Physics cannot help beyond this point. You may, if you wish, descend into solipsism or expand to... Sorry, solipsism is the view that you are the only person existing in the universe. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Uh, or expand to uh, the deism of George Washington, Benjamin Franklin and the other non-Christian founders of America, I'm quoting Henry. Or something else, if you can justify it. Don't just ask physics for help. Okay. Now, um, I find uh, philosophical idealism quite appealing. Um, it does seem consistent with modern science, um, as Henry tried to demonstrate. And also it seems to answer Berkeley's, I think, quite cogent criticisms of materialism. And no doubt some will find the, the spiritual aspect, so to speak, of God as guarantor of reality an attractive idea too. And also, I should mention, you know, Henry's far from being, being, being alone amongst serious scientists. Um, I would just mention Lord Martin Rees. He's an eminent cosmologist and astronomer. He's actually our current astronomer royal, uh, a recent president of the Royal Society, and a master of Trinity College, Cambridge, so not an intellectual lightweight, uh, yeah. Lord Rees. <coughs> and he writes, um, in the beginning, uh, there were only probabilities the universe could only come into existence if someone observed it. It does not matter that the observers turned up several billion years later. The universe exists because we are aware of it. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you great. very much. Okay, so uh, that's the basis bones of the argument, guys, that um, certain symmetries... Are, uh, tell me if I've got this right, actually, Kieran. Uh, the, ba the bones of the argument that the world is mental in nature from this physical point of view is that there are uh, everything can be measured in terms of numbers and numbers are mental entities and the laws of physics wouldn't the numbers wouldn't turn up unless there was somebody there to observe them is would that would that be a fair summary of the argument do you think yes i would say a, a key statement he makes is that that numbers are mental and that's all we ever get is numbers Okay, so any opening thoughts from uh, you guys? Yes. Um, this is Bernard. <coughs> um, if I can actually quote something from um, Richard Henry, who you um, talked about before. Um, he says, you make your measurement in the end by reading the position of a point in a scale that is laid out along one dimension of space. And he goes on to say, Pythagoras tells us that our reading is a real number. Now... That statement is actually ambiguous. It's um, when the question is when you say a real number, what do you mean by that? It has a um, in mathematics, it has a fairly definite meaning, and it is actually quite complicated. I mean, to, to 
teach people the theory of real numbers is, is not a simple thing. What you do when you do a measurement, I guess you, you kind of look along a scale and you say, well, this goes five and maybe a half bits along here. And what you're actually finding is what a mathematician would call a rational number, not a real number. Now, what um, Henry seems to be seems to be saying, although he doesn't spell it out, is that somehow space consists of these real numbers. Now, there's absolutely no evidence for that. All you ever find is a rational number. You put it into this model, this mathematical model. The mathematical model is useful. It's like a map. But what he is doing, seems to be doing, is confusing the map with the thing that he is mapping. Now, the map is useful... Yes, and you can extend this. I mean, he does this throughout his paper, talking about quantum mechanics. Yes, the map's useful. But you cannot confuse the map with what's actually what you're mapping. And to, to, to take an, an example of that, we could... Um, at home, I've got an atlas. It's got lots of maps of the world. They're all flat. For, they're very useful. If I wanted to find my way around, I could. But I couldn't say, well, as a result of this, the world is flat, because it's not flat. Okay. So, you know, you're, uh, and, and this sort of confusion seems to be built in. Yes, numbers are mental, but they are part of a map. They are part of something we use. Uh, okay. So let me see if I can just paraphrase you there, Bernard. You're saying that basically the models of physics use numbers to construct the models but then they're models they're not the reality itself therefore to say that reality itself is made of numbers seems to be sort of misapplying where you're putting the numbers if you want to put yeah, yes 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 okay. basically yes fine uh do you want to apply to that kit reply I'll, to that yes I'll, I'll i'll try i mean um I said that I find idealism interesting and certainly henry's feet in der actually deriving all of standard quantum mechanics from his two very basic assumptions in other words when we do make a measurement we get a, a real number in, in the sense of the, uh, the mathematical meaning of real number I, I do appreciate your point there uh, and the symmetries uh, so uh, it seems very attractive in that sense that he can actually do that um, and I don't think it's possible to particularly uh, criticize the paper for that uh, where one could, because we're trying to be philosophers today, uh, argue is his basic statement that you know numbers are mental. Um, I mean, I would be inclined to take the view that perhaps um, that's quite a, a wrong way of talking about numbers. Uh, in in my view, to be uh, strictly um, logical for a moment, uh, numbers like most mental concepts are, uh, such as pain or pleasure or consciousness or I think and so on, they, they don't refer, they have no reference. So for example, uh, many names do refer. If, if I uh, talk about a house or, or a cat, uh, I can point to the house or the cat um, and therefore those, those names do refer but I don't think, for example, um, psychological predicates like pain refer in that sense, nor indeed do I think that numbers refer. Uh, I don't think any mathematical propositions refer, in fact. Well, that's quite a contentious yeah. thing. Have you got any responses to that? Do you want to have a go at that, Richard? Um, well, I, 
I'm kind of just attempted to um, broaden it out. I think we've got really a, a semantic problem here. Um, it, you know, w- w- how we use do words, the words? You, you know, what, what do the words that we're using mean? Um, I, I kind of have. I really struggle with talking about a mental universe right. and numbers being real or, or mental. Um, we're we're referring back to to, to Berkeley and his his idealism. Now, Berkeley lived before the time of quantum mechanics. And firstly, just as a kind of a ground rule, I would find it extraordinary if Berkeley and idealism were actually really applicable to quantum mechanics, simply because it's so beyond the experience of the philosopher at the time. Um, And I I think we're kind of tending to use uh, shortcut language. For instance, mental, um, I I don't believe for a moment, I don't accept for a moment, that, that numbers are mental in the way that pain is mental. Okay, um, and I think that's a that's a big area of confusion. Um, and I, I suspect if you know if people are listening and, and imagining that you know you, numbers exist because we think of them, I don't think that's what Henry means, um, and, and certainly that's not what I would accept. So, um, in fact, I would actually say numbers are real in the sense that maths is really out there. Number, I mean, so it's where more does fundamental. the number two exist? How does the number two exist or the number three? That is, of course, the big problem. But somehow it's built into the structure of the universe. I mean, in our universe, one plus one does equal two, wherever you go. Um, And, of course, when you're looking at quantum mechanics, you've got situations where things are neither one thing nor the other. And that's something that I suspect we'll get into a little bit later. Okay, look, I just want to throw out the idea. Isn't it possible that... uh, if logic doesn't apply in quantum mechanics, then maybe one plus one is two isn't real there either. I don't think it's correct to say that logic doesn't apply, but certainly um, when you're talking about uh, quantum systems or, or the, the superposition, which is you know, sort of two possible um, states Waves of a particle of yeah. which can be described by a wave um, uh, and until, until, a, you know, until a measurement is made to determine the state... Um, I mean, certainly you can't have the normal rules of logic that, you know, that, that a thing is itself, that a thing is not its opposite, and that a thing cannot be both true and false. Because in quantum mechanics, it's the wrong language. It's not just that it's wrong, it's the wrong language. And that's the problem that we have, that we bring our everyday experience, our rational, real-world, material experience how in this, language. How does this impinge on uh, Kieran's argument that... or? the argument that he's presenting from Henry that the universe is mental. Well, firstly, I think I'm just bringing in a word of caution. Right. That, that we, we hear the word mental and we think uh, it, it, it's imagined either by the mind of God or by a person. And um, although we don't probably want to get into other areas of, of, of dualism, different you know, material stuff and mind stuff and so forth, um, I think we have to kind of allow that, that this mental world is not the kind of mental that we think of as in existing in a mind at all right. but it, it is a nature of substance it, it is a reality um that is not necessarily dependent upon uh being imagined or perceived at all um okay so a sort of buddhist absolute thing maybe i'm, I'm reluctant to, to agree but but for now i'll nod and move on okay um ian did you want anything yeah else? thanks just I'd like to make two points as, as quickly as i know we're, we're strapped yeah. for time a bit yeah um, this thing about number, we could pursue um, the, the position of the logician and philosopher, 19th century Gottlob Frege, and just say that, say, n- um, numbers, at least um, the integers, the counting numbers, are, which is a 
canonical core from which the other penumbral ideas of more abstract ideas of numbers have, are derived. But we could say that um, every group instantiates a number. So if there are two sheep or two planets or two stars or two whatever, we can say that the number two is instantiated. Right. It is a name for a collection of right. like objects. Right, okay. Uh, so that's one way of, as it were, realising numbers. No, but I think it's tangential to the argument. M much more important, I think, is without even touching on quantum mechanics, the the basic problem with, uh, as I pointed out in the 1940s, the basic problem, quite apart from the slide into solipsism and, and worse, uh, of of um, subjective idealism or phenomenalism, if you abstract the God, if you leave God out of the question, is um, that the only thing that exists are percepts, according to Barclay, according to phenomenalism. Now, typically in, in life, we hardly are ever directly perceptually acquainted with some object. Um, we, we could have a memory of some objects or we could have read about it in a dictionary or so online. So you're saying basically most of life we don't p directly perceive things, we remember Well, exactly. For, for instance, uh, I may say, oh, I've lost my, um, my wallet. Do you know where it is? And, and a friend may say, oh, you left it in the other room underneath. I think it may have fallen down the back of the sofa or something. Right, yeah. Now, clearly there's nothing perceptual about that. I have to uh, employ a hypothesis and pursue the leads in the hypothesis and mm. fiddle around and I may or may not find the wallet. Um, the only perceptual... In fact, my first perceptual um, acquaintance with the wallet would be my tactile acquaintance, my feeling the wallet, yeah. so we wouldn't even be seeing it. But so most how objects are. work is the question? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, our, our, the way that we uh, conceptually associate objects, the way we um, put things together, where you can navigate around the planet, is, is, is by links, memories, ideas, and, and models of the world, much more basic models than physics, as, as um, Bernard and Richard have been saying. But nevertheless, we have, in a sense, you could follow J.B.'s holding and say that. Um, science is self-conscious common sense which I believe is, is a, a good first take on what the scientific enterprise is but certainly most things are, I mean I'm thinking of Antarctica now but it's not perceptual I'm sure that the continent exists uh, right. could we say that Antarctica, Antarctica didn't exist before people in inverted commas discovered it what about the conscious penguins who are walking about in it I mean, <laughs> ok do you want to reply to any of these points Kieran okay, that these yes. people um, have made uh, I mean there was, there was a comment made that, that obviously people like George Berkeley existed long before quantum physics but obviously um, somebody of Lord Martin Rees's <laughs> um, you know intellectual qualities seems to be a, a type of a modern day idealist and, and I'm sure there are more as well so pe pe people with very penetrating um, intellect so to speak can indeed arrive at a, an idealist sort of position um, but you know obviously again we're trying to be philosophers today so we, we, we are in the game of you know critiquing uh, even super intelligent people um, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's it's like the blind leading the blind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's interesting to think about you know what what mathematics mathematics is anyway, and numbers. I said numbers don't refer, mathematical propositions don't refer, in the same way that houses and cats as names refer to things we can point at. They don't ostend. They don't. They don't ostend. No. Indeed, that's well, what I mean. It's no yes. good you point yes. and nobody can see that. Could no, you no, tell no, us what that means? Ostend. <laughs> it's not a place in Holland, right? Ostend. <laughs> Belgium. Okay. Uh, so you mean they don't? You don't point at things. If they're numbers, you don't point at something and say that's number three. You might say there's three things there, yeah. but the, the three is extracted from the three things, yeah. right? So, and, and what I'm saying is that numbers don't describe anything, and mathematical propositions do not describe anything. This is quite a. This is moving on to the philosophy of Ludwig Wittgenstein, who's a very um, Wittgenstein, yeah. who's a very uh, difficult philosopher and and, uh, and and all that, a very uh, technical philosopher. Uh, but nevertheless, his views is that. Um, Basically, uh, what we do as as living creatures and social creatures is 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 uh, 
uh, play the the language game, what he calls the language game. Um, in, in terms of we, we we create rules, so to speak, and and mathematical propositions are basically rules for substituting and transforming um, quantitative empirical propositions. In other words, mathematics is simply an activity rather than some kind of abstract realm uh, that we we basically use to uh, manage our encounter with the world in the same way that we use concepts and language to manage all our transactions with the world. So uh, how does this help your argument now? That's what I don't understand. Uh, well, well, again, we, I mean, if I think about Henry and, and idealists, um, I, I suspect they are... Um, Saying there is a there is this mental realm, right, which includes numbers, uh, and then totally separately from them there is this um, physical realm which they deny um, altogether. But wh- why do we have to um, split the world in that way? I mean, this is something that kind of goes back to Descartes. Okay. Uh, whereas somebody like Wittgenstein w- would say something along the lines of, uh, there's only one world, uh, we encounter it in, in, in various ways, um, we, 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 we invent concepts, um, in other words, language, often for completely non-theoretical reasons, like talking to other people about ourselves and our feelings and, and, and all the rest of it, totally non-theoretical. Uh, we, we also invent um, rather more theoretical concepts. I mean, basic numbers are not that theoretical, uh, but they're somewhat theoretical. And when it comes to subjects, subjects like quantum mechanics, uh, one needs to... Um, create extremely uh, sophisticated mathematical uh, pr- propositions, but they're, they're still just they're still just rules. Okay, okay. Which so have no justification in their own right. They have they, they do not depend on any a priori structure of the universe. Right, we won't even get into that. <laughs> uh, Bernard, what do you want? Because I, I was I'm glad you mentioned Wittgenstein because I was going to come over somewhat Wittgensteinian. Um, you were always going to try and sneak him in, weren't you? Rich, Rich, yes, I was, yes. Now, Richard said we might live in a world where one plus one didn't equal two. I would say that is a completely meaningless statement. Things like one plus one equals two are part of the grammar of our language. Right. They're not... Um, in a sense, they're not even statements at all. They're just part of the grammar of the language. You um, mean they're necessarily true for a little bit? No, 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 I wouldn't say they were necessarily true. Right. I say they were part of the grammar of the language. They're definitions. But that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's, they're not the grammar of they're, French they're, language. They're, they're, they're in a sense. Um, uh, uh, no, no, but in this sort of extended language, we use them internationally. You know, we, we use numbers, etc. They're not. Um, that they're not actually part, and they become in, incorporated into French, into English. Right. And we use different words for them, but the, um, and I, w- I would say that there is no observation empirically you right. could make which would either tell you that one plus one equals two or one plus one doesn't equal two. It's just not an empirical proposition. Okay. Well, Wittgenstein would say they're tautologies to say that one plus one equals um, he two. He would, is a tautology. yes, and I would actually um, disagree with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, I don't know if that later. I don't know if you really want to go down this route. I mean, uh, can we play, play a track and then we'll get back into the debate? All right, we'll be back after Hawkwind.
Hello, this is Grant Bartley from uh, Philosophy Now magazine, and uh, you're on the Philosophy Now. You're listening to the Philosophy Now radio show uh, on Resonance. I've got uh, Bernard, Richard, Ian, and Camilla uh, arguing with uh, Kieran about uh, well, this argument that Kieran presented that uh, certain people might think that quantum mechanics implies that the the world is mental in nature. Now, I wonder if you could just summarise for people. Uh, 
why quantum mechanics says the world, or why some people say that it says the world is mental in nature? Okay. Um, Hen- Henry, for example, um, says that one can derive, um, using all the mathematics, of course, one can derive uh, quantum mechanics, uh, the whole mathematical apparatus of quantum mechanics, uh, from from two really simple points. One is that when you make any kind of measurement, you get a number. And secondly, those numbers have a, a pattern to them, or some of those numbers have a pattern to them. If you bring those two facts together, um, you, you can actually derive st- standard quantum mechanics. Uh, many other people also have the view that quantum mechanics uh, seems to imply, uh, and you can hear my qualification, seems to imply uh, that experiments change according to uh, whether or not you as a conscious being uh, make, make a decision. Uh, uh, in other words, that somehow um, consciousness uh, is implicated in the uh, physical workings of, of quantum mechanics. And, and as I mentioned, quantum mechanics is really all of modern physics. So okay. that's, that's quite a big claim. So right. th- those yeah, are the two basic reasons. I've got people sighing and rolling their eyes around the <laughs> studio here. So, But you heard my qualifications. One of the sire, please say why okay, you disagree okay, with that. Um, yeah, first of all, modern physics stands on two legs, and the other one is general relativity, of course, not, not just quantum mechanics. And the, the big problem is to reconcile quantum mechanics with general relativity. There's been a reconciliation with special relativity, but it's only in for inertial frames, so-called inertial frames. Um, this idea that, that you can just derive quantum mechanics from numbers and groups of numbers needs to be qualified. I mean, it, it emerged empirically as a result of the work of Max Planck, and then, of course, Einstein decided to be iconoclastic and reach out tested something and it became fruitful and then, and then Ball got into the game and, and you know things started rolling but I think this, this idea that uh, that is it where there's a mental aspect of quantum mechanics really came in with von Neumann who was a, a brilliant mathematician but at the same time perhaps not a very good philosopher <laughs> uh, it would take a lot to expand that so I don't want to take yeah. another hour or so <laughs> explaining what I mean by that but I think it's something which could emerge from further discussion Okay, but that doesn't explain why you think that he's wrong to say that uh, the quantum mechanics says the universe is mental. Oh, von Neumann, or why you think that's a wrong interpretation of quantum mechanics? Uh, well, it's gratuitous for starters. Not in any of the postulates of, of quantum mechanics. Um, this thing about the notion of the so-called collapse of the wave function, even though it's become a very popular slogan, and everyone who's read had casual acquaintance with quantum mechanics seems to think there is such a thing. In fact, what you're saying is there's been there's a restriction to a a finite number, but usually a finite number, of uh, outcomes um, given uh, possibly continuous distribution. Uh, so you, you have a, a range of number, numerical yeah. values of some parameter, uh, and, yeah. and ma- maybe just some values will come out, and you you're say, well... You're off into the stratosphere. Sorry, sorry no, I mean, it's not, I'm, I'm not the mathematician, Bernard is, yeah. but nevertheless, uh, just the idea that certain numbers can appear, from that nothing, nothing really follows about the so-called metaphysics okay. of quantum mechanics. Well, well that's a fairly basic rebuttal so just because it's made of numbers doesn't mean anything about well, how it isn't made of numbers it's just yeah, a mathematical well, sure, uh, sure. Uh, expression of what seems to be happening physically we don't understand of course physically what's happening that's the big question how to interpret what it means to the universe whether there are many worlds as you right, say it's okay. not a unique interpretation so you don't even know how to interpret the, the, the data you get let alone give a metaphysical sure interpretation that it's like this that seems to be the thing so have you got a response to that there Kieran 
Uh, first of all, I obviously take your point that uh, physics is not just quantum mechanics. I was obviously somewhat simplifying um, general relativity is the other major leg of, of modern physics. Uh, and actually, cutting-edge physics today at the most fundamental level is the attempt to integrate quantum mechanics with uh, Einstein's theory of gravitation. Uh, but we, we await the out- outcome of, of all that. Um, I think it's also a very good point that um, even people of von Neumann's stature, uh, who wasn't an extraordinarily uh, intelligent uh, and creative individual, uh, probably wasn't that good a philosopher. Um, and, and, and what I would say is that philosophy um, is potentially a very broad kind of subject and different people um, think of philosophy in different ways. Um, but philosophy, um, as is practiced um, in, the, in the world today can be incredibly sophisticated um, um, in, involving really sophisticated understanding of, of logic and, and so on um, and, and therefore um, a lot of scientists pronouncing on philosophy seem to me not to be that strong I mean we, we've heard Stephen Hawking saying philosophy is dead for example which is quite a controversial claim um, and to go back to mind, Barbara, you want to ask, you want to ask me something about No, that? I want you to reply to his point about why the mind isn't implied by quantum mechanics. Um, some people, uh, as, I've, I've, as I've said, including people uh, like Henry, have said that if you simply uh, assume idealism, uh, then you can drive all of quantum mechanics. Right. Uh, so th- why is that a proof of quant- of idealism? Um, could, could, could I s- say something? I don't yeah, sure. think Henry's paper, and I don't I don't want to go into it because no. uh, you know he talks about Hamiltonians and things, which um, you know uh, we're going to lose the audience. But yeah, lose me. He throughout the paper he sort of slips in extra assumptions all the time. Right, there are lots of them. A sign of a bad philosopher. And I don't think. His, his idea that, well, if you assume idealism, then you can derive the whole of quantum mechanics. So it isn't surprising that the world looks like it does, works. The paper is actually presented um, as published as a way of presenting quantum mechanics to students right. so that it doesn't look that weird, which actually, as a, if that's its aim, it's actually quite good. Right, OK. But so it's you're not, not you're, as, a, as a sort of philosophical So you're argument. saying that even the argument that... Uh, Kieran's extracting from the paper isn't the argument that this guy is making anyway. Well, it's not what he says in his um, paper in the American Journal of Physics, but if you look at his little tiny um, article in Nature, which is just one page, he does make that argument. But just as a way of presenting quantum mechanics, so it doesn't look as weird as you might think it would be, you know, some of the things look quite natural if you think of them this way or that way, that's quite good. But it doesn't show that just assuming nothing about the world, just assuming idealism, you can derive quantum mechanics. Right. That's, that, it doesn't uh, okay, show that Okay, so all. the argument doesn't prove what it's being asserted to prove. Yeah, that's right, yes. Okay. Uh, I think um, one, one of the problems with uh, philosophical approaches to um, quantum mechanics, well, firstly, um, I, I, I agree with a couple of comments that have been made, which is that generally physicists don't make good philosophers. Right. Um, oh, well, philosophers don't usually make good physicists. Don't make good physicists. You know, uh, I claim to be neither, so uh, right, yeah, okay. I, I guess I'm okay. Um, but uh, I, I think one of the reasons that, that this is interesting at all is that um, if you take a sort of a, a, a materialist point of view, if you take a kind of a, a realist point of view, 
you really can't explain you mean the opposite of idealism yeah, the opposite of idealism right you really can't explain what's going on in quantum physics why not in, 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 um because the language that we use for a start to describe the everyday world the world of you know sort of cars and houses and, right. and, and billiard balls um is inappropriate but not only that the the way we use maths to describe those things right. then is is challenged as well and i'm not going to get into to, to right. the maths and the yeah. wave functions because i know i'll be challenged by people who uh, are mathematicians um but to try and put it into general language um it, it's simply the case that uh, if you try uh, and make a direct correlation between the physical world of billiard balls and uh, cars right. um, and the, what goes on in, in quantum mechanics, firstly, you fail. But secondly, and I think more interestingly, um, I think we kind of make uh, a, an error, kind of a category error, by saying what's really going on. Right. Um, that really assumes that there is a... a, a a descriptive capability of um, everyday life that also applies to the uh, the world described by the maths of, of quantum mechanics. So can I just uh, p- paraphrase that? You're saying that our way of describing reality that we have as human beings isn't necessarily capable of describing quantum reality. Um, certainly the way that we use it, yes. Right. Um, I mean, if you... Uh, you know, there are all sorts of ex- thought experiments and, and real experiments that can be done that can be that can show various effects that challenge people to question whether uh, light uh, passes between two points as, as as a wave or a particle, and there's all sorts of nonsense about wave particle duality, right. as though um, you know it decides to be one thing or the other thing, and and all sorts of misuses of, of, of language. But yeah, what's right. at the core of that is, uh, I, I think, people saying, what's really going on? So, you know, what is, is yeah. like, what, what does light look like? I went to a, a, a pub talk, actually, um, a little while ago, and somebody was trying to explain... What does light um, look like through this glass? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> somebody was trying to explain um, sort of quantum mechanics just for a general pub audience. Right. And so they kind of described why we think of it as a wave, described the, why we think of it as a particle, um, without really exploring why we make those claims or what's interesting about it apart from saying oh look isn't it weird you know how can it be a wave and a particle um and then she said this is what we think light looks like and a little little diagram of kind of like wave packets you know and i i just had to really sort of bite my lip yeah um light doesn't look like anything light is what you see things by well Yes, that's, but that's not even what I mean. Uh-huh. Because for something to look like something, it means we have to be able to interact with it in a way that our perceptual apparatus is, is capable of, which is why quantum mechanics is best described mathematically. We, we have interpretations um, which give us sort of various models to describe it and understand right. it and work with it, um, which are all kind of mostly philosophical and quite often irrelevant to the, to the actual doing of of, of uh, quantum mechanics um, uh, the maths works there's no question that right. the maths works there's, you know, let nobody be in any doubt that the maths works um, but the interpretations are largely not exclusively I have to say but largely and especially in the popular mind they're all about kind of saying how can I understand it what does it mean to me uh, what does it look like what's really going on and 
much as I hate to say this in a philosophical context, that's kind of the wrong question. Okay, so right. Kieran. Well, maybe if he's got something that he wants to respond, let him. But otherwise, you come in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we um, we as uh, as human beings uh, invent language. We it's a form of behaviour we invented to to manage our world, which is very remote indeed from uh, the world of, of atoms and electrons. Um, but but as, as, as we have um, evolved our, our, our culture and our mathematical culture and our scientific culture, we have indeed encountered that world of atoms and electrons that is, after all, the basis of all of electronics and, and all of modern chemistry. is, is basically quantum mechanics. Um, but you, you're right, Richard is right, that t- to do that, we have had to invent a very abstract uh, form of language. It's still language. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's Maths still, is still language. It still people. rules that, that are justified by their usefulness rather than any a priori uh, metaphysics, uh, but it, it, it works. Uh, on the other hand, I would say that, um, you know, we are um, metaphysical animals, as Schopenhauer describes us. We, 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 do have, we do have a kind of a need to kind of get to the bottom of what, what reality really is. Okay. Um, uh, and all these discussions of, of, of what quantum mechanics really means, this whole debate about interpretation, so-called interpretations, is, is an aspect of us as metaphysical animals. We, we, we want to find out what, the, what, the, world, what the, the, the essence of the world is, what must be true in any possible world. We, we, we want some kind of, what I would say, a kind of a closure on, on, on deep existentialist questions. Yeah, okay. And that's, that's a very natural um, part of, of the human uh, person, the metaphysical animal. Okay, Ian, what were you going to say, man? Yeah, thanks. Well, just to get back on, uh, to come back to what Richard was saying, I'm, I'm sure he wasn't being disingenuous uh, when he's saying that we live in a, as it were, a different world from the world of described by quantum mechanics, because sure. clearly it's the very small world in general, though the, the wave function can describe a quantum state which can span a whole cluster of galaxies, but we won't go into that. Um, the problem is that, you see, if, as you scale down, you lose the uh, precision of description which classical physics provides. Mm-hmm. But then you have the philosophical problem, the conceptual problem, really, uh, which John Bell, uh, the great uh, Northern Ireland mathem- uh, quantum mechanics mathematician, described as the shifty split. Uh, where the split is between quantum and classical depends on your purposes, largely. It's not something intrinsic in nature, which tends to imply that quantum mechanics is actually the true description of nature. And we're misinterpreting it when we think there's a split somehow, and then it suddenly becomes classical, uh, as it were, by a wave of a metaphysical one. Uh, now, in this connection, I, I favour the decoherence interpretation, but it will take too long to go into it. It's definitely a realist interpretation, and most experimental physicists who are performing relevant work, uh, research work in quantum mechanics, uh, support it. It's been objected that no, nobody should decide by vote. You know, okay, what, what, so you're what sort of disagreeing with you're disagreeing with Richard, I think. I, Bernard, yeah. Um, Could I say well, one, one of the assumptions people are making here is that um, we can understand classical physics, right? <laughs> and it's our sort of naive physics is essentially Aristotelian. It's not uh, Newtonian. In what sense is it Aristotelian? It's Aristotelian. We, you know, um, uh, Galileo's idea that if I push this pen, it'll carry on moving, and if nothing is stopping it, well, it doesn't look as if it happens. I push the pen, it moves a little bit right. along the table, it stops, and now. And, and it's actually possible to... That's produce Aristotle's physics rather than Newton's. That's what you're Newton saying, yeah. and Galileo. Right, and, okay. um, and you can actually produce... I won't do it because we haven't got time, but you can actually produce examples of how people would predict how a spaceship would move right. according to Newtonian physics. They get it totally wrong. Right. Um, and Newton, at the end of his Principia, said, 
something like it is enough that my theories describe how these heavenly bodies move and describe the, and predict the tides. He said, that's enough. Right. We don't need to have this extra idea. In, in fact, th- this is what's known as an instrumentalist mm-hmm. uh, mm. attitude to things. And my fear, f- feeling about some uh, f- uh, theories in physics or a- any science is that is enough. That's all you need from a, sci- a scientific theory. Why do you need more? Right, no, yeah. And I'll quantum w- mechanics gives you that. Okay, look, uh, we're coming to an end of the show now, so I mean, I wonder if you just want to quickly reply to these uh, comments. I mean, you've got, you've got Richard saying, uh, we can't really know what's going on at the ultimate level. All we can do is uh, make observations and, and construct models. Bernard's is saying this instrumentalist view that we just, all we've got is a way of interacting with our instruments, and then uh, Ian's possibly putting forward a realist yes, view here. So uh, how would you respond to that and how would you fit that in with the overall idealist position? Yes, well, um, uh, another um, description of the um, instrumental uh, version of science is, is the uh, shut up and calculate school yeah. of quantum mechanics, right. which, which is, um, well, says what it says in a way, but uh, st- stop fussing about metaphysics. Uh, and just do your calculations, and indeed, if you do your calculations, quantum mechanics, uh, apart from general relativity, uh, pretty much describes everything you're going to see um, in, in nature. Uh, but, but, but as I said, you know, we, we have this kind of um, ineradicable um, desire to, to kind of go, go further um, in terms of what is reality. Is, is, is there something that is, um, you know, fundamentally the essence of the world, or is it just going to be forever and ever more and more scientific facts and we just have to kind of live with whatever the scientists find? So uh, if, if there's always going to be that, that kind of um, situation of some, of them, some, some people want um, what they consider to be deeper answers than, than science can give us. Okay, thank you very much, Kieran. Um, okay, we're coming to the end of the show now. So, so I just want to mention uh, you've been hearing from people who are from... Fl- who attend uh, philosophy for all and that's got a meeting first wednesday of every month in the exmouth arms in euston at seven uh, to seven thirty and then you've got also bernard is representing the philosophical society of england i wonder if you could tell us when that meets and how people can find out about that bernard um well we we we, we, we don't have sort of um lectures or such we we normally have a little pub discussion right and it's normally fairly small so you know, um, uh, and we couldn't actually accommodate a vast number of people. But I'll tell you when the next one is. It's in the Thornbury Castle. Right. That's at 29A Enford Street, and that's near um, Baker Street Underground Station. Right. If you want to know, and the next one's on um, the second Monday, which I think is the 14th of next uh, month at 7.15, and it's about bad language. Okay. Um, so if you want, if you want to, can you repeat the date again? Seven fifteen at the Thornbury Castle. The Thornbury Castle, and that's on the uh, the fourteenth of um, July. Okay, is that about Wittgensteinian bad language? No, it's <laughs> it could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, if you want to know about it, the easiest way, uh, more the easiest way to email me, and that's Bernard. That's yeah. uh, at Marcade. That's M A R C A D E dot biz b i z. Okay. Okay, do you want to just repeat that again? Yes, the email would be bernard at m-a-r-c-a-d-e dot b-i-z and if you put in the subject um, the letters P-S-E for, I'll, um, 
you know what it's about. Yeah, I know what it's about because I get hundreds of thousands okay, of emails. Okay, uh, great. Um, right, this is the end of this run. We'll probably be back uh, fairly soon on the airways, but uh, as of now, not knowing quite when. Um, you can listen to the podcasts of. of past shows on the philosophy now website and i just say thank you for listening and goodbye and to prove that i'm not a hippie here's some black sabbath